So hello and welcome back everyone to today's episode and to our first non-hosty rabbit hole story. <laughs> uh, it feels weird, Ian, not hearing one of our stories. Uh, today we got Angelo on the podcast um, talking a little bit about your rabbit hole story and all of the things you do in Bitcoin. Um, but for, before we get started, um, quick introduction for those not in the know. My name is Joel. I'm the co-host here in the show. Hey, and I'm Ian. Uh, I'm also the co-host. <laughs> um, questioning Bitcoin, um, Ian Scanlon, and it's good to see you guys again. Thank you for joining us. Uh, like we said, we've got Angelo here with us this evening. Hello, Angelo. How are you? I'm good. I just want to say quickly before we get started, um, I'm going to be the first non-host guest on the soon-to-be biggest podcast in Bitcoin. So. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. Thank you so much. Yes. Let, let, let's see. Let's see. <laughs> we can aim high. We, we, we can aim high, Joel. Come on. Yeah. 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 We, we won't chill any BlockFi shit or whatever. So we're good to go <laughs> so far. <laughs> Angelo, uh, for the people not in the notes, can you maybe give like a five minute introduction to who you are and how you got started in Bitcoin? Yeah. So um, who I am, uh, I guess still figuring that one out, but I can tell you how I got into Bitcoin. Um, so about five, I can't even do the math, five years ago, basically when I was 12, I um, was in primary school, it was a bit of a, is it a square peg in a round hole or a round, hole, round peg in a square hole? Before we answer that, did you say 12 years, 12, five years ago, so you're 17? No, no, I was 12 years old, so it was about okay. five years ago, I'm 20, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, I found Bitcoin five years ago, yeah, so about eight okay. years ago when I was in school, I was 12. All right. <laughs> nice. We got that sorted. We can do math, guys. We can do math, don't we? Yes, it's important <laughs> when you're predicting the, you know, Bitcoin and everything. But um, anyway, yeah. So I was a bit of a whichever one it is, round hole, square peg, whatever the fucking saying is. But I was that basically in school, and uh, I never really liked the curriculum that I was taught. And growing up in Wales as well, it was. I mean, the school wasn't great. The primary school I went to turns out. I mean, we thought it was good, but a couple of years after I ended up leaving, I came out that all the results were completely forged by the headmistress anyway so um yeah it wasn't it wasn't a great school um and uh yeah so I didn't fit too well into that it felt like a bit of a waste of time and being in Wales you've got to study dumb stuff like Welsh even though nobody in Wales actually speaks Welsh and there's <laughs> going to be some Welsh people now that's responding saying yeah I do but um <laughs> yeah, 99 yeah, percent yeah, Welsh people do not speak Welsh um and yet it's mandatory curriculum and and I think history in, in primary school, I remember we studied, I think it was um, Henry VIII, about for like three years straight, just going over the same material for about three years, like n literally no changes. Welsh, we probably, 90% of the Welsh lessons we spent were just um, writing a short introduction about yourself in Welsh. Uh, that's like years of doing that same exact task over and over. So it was borderline negligence, to be honest. Anyway, um, I didn't like that. And then uh, when I was 12, two years into secondary school, I was doing a lot of parkour uh, and then had a pretty bad parkour accident at this competition and we in my spleen and had a bit of a uh, midlife crisis at the age of 12, I guess. And then after that, I uh, realized I don't actually, I'm going to you know, die. It sort of brought mortality quite close to the face. And then when you realize that, you stop caring so much about bullshit and it sort of helps you find the signal through the noise a little bit when it comes to just life in general. So I ended up leaving and then, <clears throat> yeah, I left school after some convincing. I had to write like a 22-page document to my um, my family members to convince them this was a good idea. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so luckily I was, I was still manning the, op opposing, uh, the opposing argument a solid amount. So I managed to get out. And then about a year later, found out about Ethereum I know you wanted it to be Bitcoin, but unfortunately, I found out about Ethereum first. But that led me to Bitcoin. And over the course of the next few years, basically started studying it. And, you know, the rest of the story goes. It just it just becomes you, I guess. So um, I guess that answers the who I am question as well. I'm a Bitcoiner. Nice, nice, nice. And uh, we'll get probably very deep into your book as well. Um, but before we do that... Uh, what would you say currently is the number one thing that keeps you going in Bitcoin? Oh, fear. Um, you know, if it doesn't if it doesn't work, if Bitcoin doesn't work, and we fail to to sort of get the snowball going, then the future doesn't look good. 
and having kids becomes a question that that is more nuanced than it is today. And so if we don't sort this shit out, then we've got problems on our hands, basically. And so, you know, it's, I guess, on the other side of fear is always love as well. I love Bitcoin, but, but yeah, it's primarily just, you know, I think <clears throat> if you're in a burning building and you know the escape route and you're not telling people about it and you're not devoting yourself to making sure you're getting as many people out as possible, then, well, you're sort of just letting it happen. So, yeah, I'd say fear, probably. Yeah, that's, that's a great analogy. Um, if you're in a burning building and you know the escape route and you don't share that, then because really you, you've got the responsibility now that you know and understand Bitcoin, really. Um, is that what I'm taking from what you're saying? That you, you feel that um, you feel the urge to create signal and put the noise out there about what Bitcoin can offer. Um, and that is the escape route from from the fear madness that we are currently existing under. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. And um yeah, it's uh, it's Bitcoin. I think is um, our best bet um, because it decentralizes, of course. But yeah, I think it's a it's a great starting point as well. And I believe that if Bitcoin succeeds in doing what it's trying to do, I think the it, it won't be sort of like you know you that the whole idea of fix the money, fix the world, right? It's not because as soon as you fix the money, that's all that was wrong with the world. It's because you fix the money, and then all these other things that are wrong with the world start fixing themselves. Um, and so it's sort of like an issue at the systematic level of designing a society. Or if you were to take a bird's eye view of the world and see it as an alien that was trying to look at all the different puzzle pieces and arrange them in the best way that ensures the most positive outcome for the species in total, I think one of the first things you would do is inject decentralization into the system. And if you don't do that and things continue to centralize, well, then, well, you know, Centralized point, uh, singular points of failure uh, tend to be a a bad sort of roadmap, if you'd say for for humans. And I think Bitcoin is definitely the the, the best way that we can begin that process of decentralizing uh, a lot of these problems. What I and I agree, um, and thank you for that. But are you essentially saying that Bitcoin provides a clean slate for humanity? It provides that that decentralized option for us for them to build upon um moving forward yeah um i, I had a, a, a line in the book that went something like um the kinds of riverbank for those to whom the tide isn't kind and it's okay, like okay that's an interesting when, when the tide is is pushing people towards a certain direction if that direction is bad then it's not like bitcoin is going to completely you know clean slate the world as you said it, it's more just like and it's not pushing in the opposite direction either. It's it's just a riverbank. It's stationary and it's sturdy and it's not moving. It's not changing. It's just there. It's some. It's a lifeboat to the Titanic, essentially. And um, yeah, we need to get as many people on the lifeboats as possible. Do you do you reckon that has with your history? I mean, you had an accident at twelve. Um, from reading the introduction stuff in the book as well, if I remember correctly, it was pretty much: do one move wrong, are you maybe dying very soon, ish? Um, do you think that had a big impact on your discovery in Bitcoin as well? Because you mentioned early on in your life, you may not live that long. You may die tomorrow if shit goes wrong. Um, and at the same time with Bitcoin, your biggest answer was fear. If we don't get this right, we set the future straight. Do you think that experience in life had a big impact in your Bitcoin journey as well? A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's had a, a big impact in, in, in most aspects and not just from the accident, um, I'd say the accident actually wasn't that surprising um, because of just the types of stuff that I was doing often. It was more just parkour in general. Like I was really, really into it, obviously competing and stuff. It was sort of like training all the time. And, and you know, you start off just learning how to, to vault over some walls and, and do stuff like that. But then when you get to the rooftops and it all gets a lot more real, um, I'd say there's two aspects to it that sort of have fed quite nicely into to my perspective on Bitcoin, which, yeah, the first one is, you know, if you get it wrong, you fuck up. So on like a macro perspective, I that's sort of the approach that I take to looking at the world right now. Um, and then the other side of it is just the freedom. Like parkour is all about freedom. Um, you're able to do what you want to do with your body. It's physical autonomy. If I want to run across that wall, I know gravity says you shouldn't, but like I can figure it out and do it anyway. So I think like the reason I was so into parkour was because it, it it was just like a pure, unfiltered sense of freedom, um, and I think my 
nature, not, like I naturally move towards freedom in, in all cases. And so Bitcoin is obviously like the number one freedom tool at the moment, the most important freedom tool. And, and, and yeah, I guess because I'm, I see things as sort of, you know, act now, like when you're in the middle of a parkour move, for instance, you don't get to, to debate and question what's the right move. You just, you just have to figure it out and go for it. And so when it comes to, yeah, looking at what I'm doing with my life at the moment, it's sort of like you could sit around and question it and stay on the fence forever, or you could look at this problem, see that there's a solution to it, and then just play the biggest part that I can in the advancement of that solution, basically. Yeah. But yeah, you hit the nail on my head there, I reckon. That's brilliant. And it's I starting to I'm starting to form a picture about about you listening to you actually about your analogy earlier about you being a um square uh, peg in a round circle and you doing parkour um having this um accident and essentially having this uh, existential crisis moment in your life but all at the same time having um discomfort about being in the institution that was your school at the time and it seems from the only the five 10 minutes that we've been having a chat that you're you appear to be somebody that likes to not push the boundaries but to uh live life to to its best um and you've mentioned freedom and it seems like bitcoin was a, almost like a natural discovery for you i know you mentioned that you first came across ethereum um how how why did ethereum pop up for you first what, what what was going on for you when when ethereum came into your life basically my dad wanted to understand it he was um looking at uh you know he, he followed this um gold bug uh news uh news digest this email thing and it the, on the footnote it mentioned ethereum because this was just after it launched in early 2016 so um yeah it was just briefly mentioned ethereum and and that it might be worth paying attention to and then my dad basically was like you know, he's he's a bit of a mess with computers. I'm not going to lie. So he was like, "Can you explain this to me?" And I was like, "No." But then I I looked into it a little bit, and and uh, and yeah, that led me onto Bitcoin. I was like, um, "So yeah, at first I definitely could not explain it." But you know, all the people they tend to just think, you know, if you get if you know how to switch the HDMI on your TV, you'll know and you'll understand every single thing about computers that there is. But yeah, it was definitely a long journey of figuring stuff out, and an even long journey of figuring out. Um, you know, why Ethereum is a complete pile of shit. But, um, you know, that realization does come eventually. It just, yeah, it was it was a few years. And I've never been like the, the smartest cookie or anything like that. So I think it probably could have been a bit quicker if, uh, if the old God had blessed me with a few more IQ points or whatever. But, um, but nevertheless, you get there in the end. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the, the, the whole spiel at all of these um, altcoins is very, it's very intriguing. Um, I can say this because I used to work. It can be quite convincing. Yeah, exactly. I, they, and they, the, their biggest goal is to convince you of whatever vision they have. Um, again, I could say it and any altcoiner can attack me because I used to write a lot of the copy for certain projects. Um, not going to disclose them because good people working behind and they're all going to put food on the table, pay rent and shit. Um, but yeah, that is one of the biggest dangers. To me, what is always interesting is um, maybe that's a bit different because I got in Bitcoin early first and I sort of checked out altcoins, but I never was really interested. Uh, once you went down the, or you started down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, what was the number one thing that aha moment where you said, holy shit, this is it? Because to me, if you look into Bitcoin, a lot of it is out of context. Um, and people tell you like, you got this consensus mechanism and you got miners and you got energy or whatever the fuck it is. Um, but no one can actually contextualize it and say, if you question Bitcoin, why does it exist? It's ABC. Um, was that similar for you? Was there a different aha moment? Yeah. So I'd say there's probably a, a sort of aha period where I was coming to terms with, um, a lot about how money worked and, and what money was. That was sort of the first question I was asking back then because you know you're 12 years old you think it's always existed and it's just this permanent fact of nature but then you know somebody goes uh mate there are people my age that still think that so <laughs> yeah yeah i mean probably most people aged 102 yeah thanks joel <laughs> 101 actually but yeah so I, I guess there was that period of looking at the 
greater puzzle picture in which Bitcoin fitted um, or fit, whichever the grammar is for that. I should should know, but I don't. Um, there was that. And then I think the biggest aha moment for me was, you know, you're, you're hearing a lot of this stuff. And this is why I spent so much time trying to understand how it works rather than um, just sort of opinions about what it might do and this and that. I, I, was, I really felt like I, I needed to understand how it worked. And after I had sort of grasped the, the sort of elevator pitch of Bitcoin, if you will, the thing that people say in their five minute explanations of why Bitcoin is worth paying attention to, um, I, I kind of was like, okay, so that's what people are saying. But, you know, until you really understand, you don't have the aha because you say, well, I, these, these people could be wrong. You know, if I don't fully understand it and I can't see how it works, they're just saying things right now that it could be false, it could be marketing, it could be this, it could be that. And there was a moment, I remember I was in the car with my brother and he was, he's four years older than me. So he was looking into, um, I think he'd got Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos and he was reading through that. And I, um, I wasn't at the time. And I remember thinking like, you know, this is all really cool and stuff. Okay, so there's, you've got this like monopoly money that, is pervasive through society at the moment. And, you know, somebody has their hand on the button and they can choose to do with the supply what they will and the supply affects what you can do with your life, right? That sounds like a scam. And then I had Bitcoin in my head. Okay, it's this thing that there's only a certain amount of them, but they're digital. And so they're just information. So they're not like physical notes. But I know that most physical notes, most money isn't physical notes anyway. Most fiat currency is digital too. But there's something not clicking because this isn't administered by anybody. And so because Bitcoin isn't administered by anybody, how can they have a limited supply and, and all of this? And I knew that it was like X amount were administered per block and the blocks were developed by miners. And then it got back down to the final, like the most detailed bit, because I'm big picture first, right? So I got the big picture. And then when I, the, the bit of um, the nonce in the, um, in the block, the number that you change in order to find the correct hash uh, for people listening, when I figured out, exactly what that meant and how that worked and the purpose for having a nonce, I was just like, it, my head just exploded. And I was like, it's finite. It's finite. You can't make more of it because uh, I got the sense of the complex math problem, you know, the Shah and all that. And then as soon as we got down to that final bit, because I remember, um, yeah, just when that clicked, I was just like, holy shit. And, and then from there on out, I think it was just like, yeah, this can't, there, there's such a small chance that this, this breaks. And sure, it might not succeed. That's a different question. But it seems like this thing isn't going to break. And if it's not going to break, um, then let's push it as hard as we can. You know. So it seems like you, you you first needed to understand what money was, and then is when you understood that you was then able to test that against what Bitcoin was, and you was almost like on this pathway of like. Um, comparing it to to fiat in a way and just seeing if it stood up against it. Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned your brother before, Angelo. Um, funny enough, we have you back to back in the recording. So <laughs> do yeah. Uh, nice. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe in a week they will listen um, into your brother's story. Is he going on after? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, I think he's today in a week actually. So you're maybe same time, just different different day. Tell him I, tell him I say he's got small calves. <laughs> okay, good. I'll, I'll say for that well, one. I'm, I'm going to write it down. Small. <laughs> Carves. Because I've met your brother at uh, BTC Amsterdam, um, I know he's also quite technically involved. Was that also something you was into? Um, or did you pick that up through, because I guess being brothers four years apart, once both of you got Bitcoin, you sort of were um, an unbreakable pair talking about sets all the time. Were you also into the technical aspects of it all? Yeah, so um, I, I guess because I was trying to figure out how it worked, it was, it was all very technical for a while. Problem was, I was like, um, from probably about from 13 to 15 years old when I was doing like my the first like proper deep dive into it and so basically I was dumb as fuck and none of it made any sense and uh, it, it took quite a while for me to get my head around it uh, my brother was a bit quicker at getting his head around it um, and and I think he always has been with the more detail he's he's like um, details then big picture and more big picture than details and so he was always quite good at understanding the technology aspect of it and how it works and and that's carried through to today you know he's doing a lot more coding and stuff than i am um but but yeah i, I guess it was an interesting dynamic being brothers and both looking into it because i think it probably there's obviously an initial hurdle of 
of knowledge that you have to jump over before you can fully become enveloped by Bitcoin and, and the surrounding topics. Because, you know, you have to you have to get past a certain amount of learning before things start clicking. And it's only when things start clicking that you really start becoming attached to it or sort of, you know, it gets you on the hook then. And, um, and yeah, I think uh, because we were brothers and we were both looking into it, it was a sort of like... Um, Oh, you get something that I don't get, and that makes me feel like the shitter brother. So I'm gonna have was to. Was it go like a bit of sibling out. rivalry going on here? There was a little bit of sibling rivalry, I think. So I'm. You might ask him, and he might be like, "What? What are you talking about?" But um, on my side, I was definitely a little bit. I guess being the younger brother as well, I sort of wanted to uh, one up him in in my my Bitcoin knowledge. But then, yeah, that all sort of disappeared when we started actually getting it, and then it was just like there's probably still a little hint of it now. I'm not gonna lie, but um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, it was cool to be able to, you know, go through that period of learning uh, with him and bounce ideas off each other and stuff. I, I suppose that's quite um, a rare thing, having someone as close to you as your brother and then you having that opportunity to to go down the rabbit hole together, really, and discover Bitcoin, uh, not only on your own, but, you know, have have a bit of a sounding board um, to to bounce off and sort of uh, discover Bitcoin together. And your brother's a bit more technical, like you said. Uh, what what skill base did you bring to that discovery? What 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 did he say about you that benefited him? Uh, I don't know, metaphors maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's probably about it. You know, beyond that, I, not that much, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, metaphors are, I, I love metaphors. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I can understand that for sure. You should have said, you should have said bigger calves. Bigger calves. That's exactly what I bring to the table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure to attack that part on Twitter as well for him. Just for him. Yes. <laughs> he would love that. Yeah. So you got on, you got on board, you went through the, the Ethereum phase or your dad introduced you. Then your brother got in. You have that back and forth between you two. Was it hard upselling Bitcoin in the family? Because once you have your brother and yourself on board, it's just, I guess, dad, mom, relatives, then the whole world from there. Um, how, how easy was the upsell for your parents then? So um, my dad obviously took an interest to it before my mom. So it was easier to sort of get, get him... Uh, infatuated with it because like quite like myself he's he's this um philosopher essentially he gives philosophy talks and helps people out and and stuff <clears throat> lives in a van as well so that's a fun fact but he's a big freedom guy hence the van um so he with anything that has that smells of freedom he's jumping on it so he had his own motivations for for looking into it um and it was it often was in the form of passing down homework like can you figure this out for me please so, so this i heard this guy talking about this what is that and every time i was like i don't know but i'll try figure it out and then uh yeah it was sort of so i guess he was sort of like a on the tail end of my me and my brother's understanding was my dad sort of catching up but he's very good at just big picture thinking as well so more similar to me probably than my brother in that regard um but yeah he's, he's good at Get, taking a lot of different opinions and a lot of different viewpoints and sort of filtering through the, the noise and getting to the signal and developing a map, essentially a psychological map of, you know, the big picture of the macro world. So I guess that lends itself very well to Bitcoin because that's sort of exactly what you have to do to understand Bitcoin. Nice. And your mom? Mom's still on her way. <laughs> we're still we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, but yeah, I think she's um, she runs a business. So she's got this um, house street shop that is her baby so she's developed like devoted to that completely so i don't think she can bear any more homework on top of the work she does there because she's you know 24 7 working so um so yeah I, I think it's been harder to whereas my dad less working um so easy so more spare time to look into that stuff nice well we'll make sure to send someone from coin corner to your mom's shop maybe we can paint sets in the future we already, <laughs> we already discussed that yeah we were already looking into doing that still might yeah, that'd be that'd be brilliant. Yeah, that will be brilliant. Do you know, ever since you were talking about um, school, I know we're changing gears now, but you were saying that when you were in school, you were learning about Henry VIII and things like that. So there's, there's no different from when I was in school. I was learning about Henry VIII, uh, and it was about the Second World War um, and how great Britain was in the Second World War, and you know, it was, it was talk. It was obviously um, the same curriculum as it 
was many years down the line because I'm 43 now uh, and um, it's, it's surprising to to hear that the curriculum is, is pretty much still the same kind of thing. Um, and you wrote a 22-page letter. Can you can you remember what was in that? Can you remember the sort of things that you were saying to justify why it is that you didn't want to stay in school? Yeah, so it was... Um, the, the document was... Basically, I was probably equal... At least at first, when I started to realise that, you know, leaving school might actually be a possibility because I was looking into... You know, the regulations in Wales around that as well and you're allowed to leave school so long as you do receive an education it doesn't have to be the curriculum that Wales offers um, and so when I realized that and I'd spoken to my dad a little bit about it and I was I think struggling a little bit with the fallout of, of the accident and it was sort of just like that probably softened his heart a little bit and opened it up to to optionalities of what might be best for me and also I think when you're coming off the back of an experience like that the things that you're saying are sort of more more true to your actual desires and stuff so I think you could see that I, when I was saying it then like I meant it like I, I wasn't just a kid coming home saying I don't want to be in school anymore it was like no I genuinely don't want to and um, I think the, the document then was basically me going right I'm 12 so I'm probably an idiot so I'm probably wrong let's figure out if I'm wrong and I was doing a bunch of research online like is home education and, and self-education a bad idea right because we've got Google now and they haven't changed the school so to me, that seems like the school is just a uncompetitive market participant that is refusing to adjust the value of their product because of some ego or monopoly that they hold upon the market, which, you know, basically stops them from having to adjust. And since Google and the Internet, the flow of information is now incredibly different to how it was before. And textbooks may not be the best idea since oftentimes I'd be in school and they'd say, yeah, ignore that section of the textbook. It's wrong. I got disproved. And it's like, well, get new fucking books then. Or just like give us a different way of getting the information. Anyway, it's a bit of a sidebar. So I was looking into home education and, you know, pros, cons, all of it. And I had a lot of my own worries. You know, was I going to just become this sort of shell of a human, a social recluse that just can't talk to people? Because, you know, school is, I'd say, primarily for social interaction and um, impressionable years. And so I was looking into that and... The studies on it said no, and you know I was looking into um, the curriculum and and the actual process of of what you would end up learning had I stayed in, what I would come out with at the end, and it turned out to basically just be a certificate. And then also looking into some information, I think it was about how much of what's learned in school is actually retained through adulthood, and how much of it is forgotten directly after the test was taken. And it was like a stupid number, and so I was just like. Right. Well, I'm not even learning this to learn it. So it's not it's not the test. So the test is a test, right? It's quite clearly a test. But what it's testing is sort of assumed to be your what you've learned. But the problem is if people aren't retaining any of the information and people tend to retain information that they've learned and truly understood, then is the test really testing what you've learned? Or is it just testing how good you are at something else? And if it is testing how good you are at something else, what is it? probably how good you are at sitting down, shutting up and regurgitating information. So that was kind of like one of the conclusions. And, and the document itself was basically just like a potential argument against and then the best I could do at arguing against it. And not because I'd chosen and I was trying to argue against it. The, the document itself was sort of a place for me to formulate through my own thoughts as well and genuinely have the, you know, my conscious express itself essentially and 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 allow the the yes let's leave and no let's stay parts of my brain to sort of go at it and so because I think it was a genuine um sort of search for truth in a sense the correct answer um it didn't it wasn't a, a propaganda piece it ended up being quite persuasive because the questions and the the worries that they would come back with were the same worries that I had and that I had come to the conclusion were either unfounded or would outweigh uh, or didn't outweigh the risks of inaction because um, humans tend to this is a thing I think I mentioned it in the book as well but it's a common theme in my thinking throughout my life as well is that humans tend to greatly overestimate the risks of action and underestimate the risks of inaction they've got a whole saying about it you know the devil you don't know is worse than the devil you do and it's like 
nah, it's not. You don't know the devil you don't know, so you don't know if it's worse. And <laughs> and potentially it's a lot better than the one that you do now. So yeah, I was kind of like taking that approach from it. What are the risks of leaving and what are the risks of staying? And then sort of the likelihood of each of them, the negative fallout they would cause and just weighing them together. Um, so yeah. It seems like you're quite a, a deep finger, a thinker, Angelo. Deep finger. Where's that edit button? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, for, for me, because when, when, I'm just thinking back to when I was 12 as well, I used to do quite a lot of drawing, uh, sketching, and that was kind of like my mindfulness. That was my escapism in a way uh, uh, for me to focus my attention and to sort of like um, get lost in my thoughts a little bit because I'm a bit of a deep thinker as well. And and doing something active like sketching helps me get into that mindset. And it would seem from listening to you um, that writing um, might sort of do the same thing for you, Angelo. And is that what then led to you being inspired to write a book about Bitcoin? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, it was, I think... Um, you know, it's people assume that when they that all of their beliefs are are correct because they get a certain fuzzy feeling in their stomach that, that says this is true, and then you know if it's a question of intuition, then sure, but if it's a question of logic, then maybe not, and maybe that feeling that you get is just because you're sort of willfully ignorant to another counter argument to the point that you're holding uh, that you haven't sort of looked at because it takes a lot of brain effort. And you have to really delve into the idea a lot deeper. And so it's possible and easy to use heuristics and just sort of default to certain perspectives and uh, sort of have strong, have strong opinions strongly held uh, and hold on to them for dear life because you don't want to actually consider the fact that maybe you didn't look at all the details. And when it comes to writing, you there's none of that. You You don't get... It's like everything is coming into the spotlight. There's no hidden bits. There's no bits you glossed over. Um, everything that you thought you know is going to be put against everything you actually do know, and you'll figure out what the difference between those is. And so when you write something, um, you don't just have a general sense of um, what you believe to be the case or what you believe to be true. You have to have a, a syntactically sound argument from premise to conclusion and when you lay that out in front of you you can really poke holes in it and figure out where the gaps are and and sort of formulate your understanding of the thing a lot more and I'd say oftentimes you have the experience where you know you'll learn about something or maybe you've listened to a bitcoin podcast or whatever it is and then you'll go to talk about it and you'll be like "Uh, uh, um it's like the the uh, uh, uh," and it's just like yeah that's because you you haven't fully you haven't like sort of cemented your understanding. And so writing, I think, is probably the only way that you can do that. Talking as well, but with writing, you get to actually sort of, you're not rushed. When you're talking to somebody, you're always rushed, right? Because you don't want to come across like a psychopath that just stops for 20 minutes halfway through a sentence because, you know, they'll leave. But um, when you get to write, you get to sit down and really analyze your own understanding of things. So yeah, writing, I think, is, think it, I think is thinking writing is thinking yeah and it, and it cements your ideas in the words um after you've had that time to f- uh, to think about it and and reflect and um once once you write it down then it's it's then the final thought mm, yeah and i did that before even you know this is why i've made the distinction as well between matters of logic and matters of intuition because when i'd actually written a book of the same length when i was uh 13 called childlikeness which was a basically a, a guide to happiness from the mind of a 13-year-old child. And um, it was because, like I said, I was struggling a lot with the fallout of, um, of the accident and the whole fiasco and the sort of existentialism of it. And so I was pretty depressed for a while, um, which is not ideal when you're that young because you don't know really what to do about that or what that, that is. And it's sort of like a very early slap in the face. Um, but, yeah, I think that, slap in the face was probably more like cold water it's just sort of it's like oh shit life isn't always great you know sometimes sometimes it really sucks and the thing and i you know the things that you enjoy stop being fun and all of that 
So I think I was really trying to figure out what the fuck was going on and, you know, what is happiness and how do you get it? Can I get some of that, please? Is there a discount at the moment? You know, so I was really trying to figure out that. And, and so I ended up writing about it. But the problem is because you do cement your words and you do cement your thoughts. Time I finished writing the book, I was like, that's all bullshit. <laughs> no, that makes any sense. So <laughs> because it was all matters of intuition for the most part, you know, you and I think especially being so young as well, my opinions and perspectives on things were so were changing drastically and very quickly. Um, there's some good shit in there that I still believe. But um, yeah, that's the scary thing about writing as well, is that you do have to bring yourself into the light and you're sort of. It's like you can build a brilliant bridge on as much theory as you like, but you know you've got to stand on it, see if it's sta- see if it's stable, and that's sort of what you're doing with your own ideas when you write. Is you're standing on the bridge you built, seeing if it's stable, and most people won't want to do that because they don't, they don't want to know if it falls. Bruise your ego doing that, but yeah. Nice. And I mean, we mentioned it a few times now talking about your book and we, we finally get to it after like 37 minutes into the recording. Um, for those of you who don't know, obviously the link will be in the show notes. It's called Do Bitcoin, The Future of Money and What You Need to Know. Uh, it's part of the, is that the Do Book Publishing series thing, right? There are like different books with different titles in that series. Um, when you initially had the idea for the book, were you approached or did you approach the publishers? Yeah, so they approached me first. I did a, um, I did a talk uh, in, so they have, so the Do Book Company, uh, the Do Publishing Company is um, owned by the Do Lectures, who are a lecturing thing, kind of like TED. Um, and they host this, uh, this annual event in Wales. Um, and I think they, I'm not sure if they do the American one anymore, but they used to do some around America and stuff as well. But yeah, anyway, they, they held this annual event in Wales and they brought me on to, to speak about, my journey and, and, you know, Bitcoin and stuff like that back in 2018. And then afterwards, uh, they um, offer, I think they offered the opportunity to write a book to some of the people that give talks. And so they had offered it to me, but I said no originally because I wasn't entirely confident in my understanding of sort of, you know, down to the root of things, the tech and all of that. I wasn't fully confident. So I was like, I'm going to hold up. And luckily I did because it was during that period of time that I was still sort of bordering on shitcoiner and still going through that process of, you know, figuring things out and unraveling things. So luckily I did delay it. But then, yeah, a couple of years ago in, what is it, actually one year ago, yeah, so in about August, I think it was, or July of 2021, I just reached out to them and I was like, yeah, you know that book you offered me like three years ago yeah any chance that's still going <laughs> and uh and they were like you know they had a call with me and stuff and, and said yeah yeah have at it so uh and spent three months um writing it and it came out in october then october 6th it was of 2022 which is last year now which sounds weird to say but um but yeah so that was basically the book story how that came about uh, luckily i didn't end up writing a book on uh, shit coins because that would have haunted me forever um narrowly escaped that one yeah i mean i mean you i think you did a nice job in the book because um uh first of all it's perfect size in my opinion it's 105 ish pages uh very compact you can throw it into a backpack into a briefcase um if you're wearing cargo shorts or pants you can even fit it in there somehow um, and I like the way you build the book. So you go into the the more big picture stuff, like what is money? How do we need it? Uh, then you sort of dive into the technical things. And at the end, you actually land at the, the philosophical questions, like what is the future? What can Bitcoin literally fix? Um, and I do know two people who have um, just local business shops, coffee shop, one has a restaurant. I actually gave them your book. And they were like, oh, okay, so I can actually just use it as like either a marketing channel, that's how they looked at Bitcoin, accept them again store. Um, or literally one guy, he's from South America, so he's used to like high inflation and stuff. He started going down the Bitcoin hole. And now every time, every morning when I go out and get my croissant and my coffee, uh, he's waving over and he's asking me stuff about Bitcoin and I can never leave. <laughs> uh, that might be a mistake if I want to get up in the morning and have my breakfast in peace. Um, but was that the vision for you, having that sort of structure within the book? Um, and first of all, for whom is the book? Is it for everyone? Is it for business owners? Or did you just essentially write it for yourself 
to have the story out there. Yeah, so it was, um, so I guess we'll take it right back to the beginning of the conversation about the the burning building and the finding the way to get out. So um, this, I think, was an attempt of explaining a little bit about, you know, I guess you could, let's use the Titanic analogy. It was a bit about explaining what the lifeboat is, what lifeboats are, how they work. You don't need to be scared of them kind of thing. And I, a lot of people need to hear that. And, you know, I spent a few years helping set people up in Bitcoin and, and, and stuff and doing sort of consultancy in that, in that space. And there was a lot of confusion and it's fair enough. It's a confusing topic and it makes you think about things in ways that you're not used to. And I think that's probably fundamentally because it's sort of this transject that sort of doesn't fit nicely into subjective or the objective and so people when you can't agree whether or not something's an object or if it's subjective it becomes quite awkward for people who are used to thinking in that mode and there's a lot of problems with with that being the case uh mainly that you know as i was saying again at the beginning the the fucking thing is sinking right and we need a way off and if you don't get people to understand this thing you risk allowing it to essentially fall because because Bitcoin is an idea and ideas are by nature existing in the realm of the understood and the not understood. And so if you want to get people behind Bitcoin and subscribing to it and into it, then you have to teach them about it. They have to understand it. Now, I know that there's also the more realistic option for adoption which is just you make it work and you make it profitable which is hopefully there's a lot of work being done on that um with like Feddy and stuff like that especially in the global south that is really interesting and i think it's probably the best way to go after them but i think because it's so um conceptual as a project then we need to have a way to under to explain it to people and so the way that i have found myself struggling to learn and then succeeding to learn over the course of my sort of um, self-education online is that I know it's a, a common problem. A lot of people, when they're explaining things, there's just words that don't register to people, right? And words, I don't know if anybody here has done any pro programming or anything, but you can assign a variable, right? And the variable can have meaning. And the meaning that you put in the variable essentially is what the computer would use to actually enact a function or or run an iteration or something like that. And words are essentially analogous to variables and they're not the content itself, they're not the information or the meaning itself, they hold the meaning. And so if you keep directing people to words that hold no meaning to them, such as mining, you know, decentralization, you know, hash rate, all of this stuff, it, they're gonna keep drawing blanks and then you're gonna ask them to return with a you know, 4K resolution picture of what you were just talking about and they're gonna be like, I got nothing. So you need to first fill those, I'd say, I call it the filing cabinet method because it's like, imagine you have a filing cabinet in your head, a psychological one, and you have to direct people to the drawers with your words. And the drawers then, when they pull them, they get the meaning out of it. And so if you keep directing people to empty drawers and asking them to return with some masterpiece, it's not going to happen. So first you have to fill the drawers. And the best way to do that is to use ones that are already full. So that's why I really like the metaphors, because they allow you to essentially communicate ideas to people without them fully knowing exactly that you're communicating a Bitcoin idea. You can just communicate the idea and without them knowing that it's a Bitcoin idea, they don't shut down because a lot of people do that. As soon as you say Bitcoin and mine, they go, oh, this is in the realm of the things that I don't understand. And therefore, I'm going to shut off and I'm not going to talk about it. I'm done. You know, it's scary to them because, you know, confusion is a horrible experience as a human being, but it's one of the worst states to be in is a state of confusion and so people don't want to go down that road especially if they're tired especially if they have nine to fives especially if they have a day job um and and shit to do so the idea with the book was to do a first attempt and it is a first attempt because this is going to take ages to get right but it is my first attempt at explaining bitcoin with all of that in mind such that i'm not directing people to empty cabinets in the head and hopefully they will come out of it the other end from knowing nothing to having at least some some sense or some semblance of an idea of either what the thing is or why it is. And if they can get either of those from the book, I'm going to be incredibly happy. And so 
yeah, that's like that's I guess the uh, what I'm trying to do with it and and why I wrote it. And the other part to it, which worked nicely as to why I wrote it, was just like I was saying about putting your ideas into into words. Right, it makes you look at them. So I probably learned half of what I know about Bitcoin just from writing what was in my head because beforehand it was sort of jumbled. Now it's clear. And so I recommend to anybody who's learning about Bitcoin or even listening to this podcast, I can assume that you listen to a few Bitcoin podcasts, just at the end of it, try and take what you remembered while it's still fresh and just write some stuff about it and then maybe publish it. It might help someone. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I spoke to a, um, a CEO of a big uh, Bitcoin project yesterday. Um, I, I'm not sure if I can disclose the name, so <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. Um, and we talked about that part where Bitcoin is so open to many things. I see it a lot in my day job. So I talk to a lot of like fintech institutions. And whenever I bring up Bitcoin, uh, you know, the number one response is, A, oh, that's where these stupid laser eyes idiots online always attack you if you say something wrong, which is like, fair point. I think this is something we could improve. Um, but then the second point is like, once they get it, especially the institutions, they're like, holy shit, these are either payment rails or um, I have uh, spoken to one big institution where they literally went, uh, if we can exchange the current banking system or the tech stack as we use it now, because this is like super old tech with like the old financial legacy system. Then they brought in fintech. They're reiterating and ship. If we can exchange that for just one standard, which could be the Bitcoin protocol as it is, and build on top of that. Oh my fucking God, that's usually the response I get. Um, how amazing is this going to be? And that's not even factoring in that they look at Bitcoin as an asset or an investment. It's literally just technology we can use and uh, look at stuff like um, uh, Nostra and all of these things. You can build more than financial stuff on it. Um, and yeah, I think that was uh, the one message or the one feeling I had I had after reading your book, sorry, Um because, I mean, I've been in it long enough to read different books, but yours was uh, really refreshing. Um, and I especially like the last chapter, sort of the future vision of Bitcoin, um, which I'm sure we get into a bit later on in the episode as well. Uh, for you personally, looking back now at your Bitcoin journey, Angelo, um, is there anything besides not starting with altcoins you would do differently? Learn quicker. Cool. Yeah. I, uh, I, I learn... Uh, Sound, oh God, it sounds so demoralized or demasculating when you say I learned at my own pace. Uh, it sounds like an idiot, but I did. I learned at my own pace, and my own pace could have been quicker. You know, I, there was a long period where I, I, was, I didn't fully get it, and so I was learning bits and bobs here and wasn't fully going out and confronting that feeling of confusion because it was horrible, and we like to feel like we know things and we've got a grasp on things. And, you know, when you try tackle Bitcoin, it's like you don't understand it, and it's going to feel awkward and horrible. And so <clears throat> I probably avoided delving into it as deeply as I could, as, uh, and I probably could have done that earlier, and that would have just given me more time to focus on you know, showing the escape route. Um, and so, yeah, if, if anybody's slightly looking into Bitcoin at the moment and it's sort of, they feel like they, they could spend more time looking into it, but they're not, I'd say just just do it because you know that time does play a factor. It is a variable in this equation, and so if you have some interest in it, yeah, uh, just just delve into it as much as you can. It's going to feel horrible because you're not going to get it, and there's going to be bits that you pull your hair out over, but it'll grow back, and it will be worth it in the end. Trust me. <laughs> I'm 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 pointing I'm pointing into um, the lack of hair I've got on top of my head, but uh, yeah, that's somebody who's been doing a lot of it learning you you managed with the beard ian you sort of compromised there i did yeah 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 i had to have some hair on my head somewhere so what you also put into that category then angelo not only consuming content um you mentioned producing it as soon as you learn something try putting your thoughts out there um how important would you rank meeting bitcoiners bitcoin enthusiasts in real life because that's funny enough how ian and i met and decided to then do the podcast and one of the Bitcoin meetups. Oh, very high. Yeah, it's um, uh, you know, it's it's dialectic, right? It's the fundamental truth thing. You know, if there was a fundamental truth thing, it would be conversation. It's how we come to terms with other people's opinions and reach middle ground. And the middle ground is almost always a higher resolution picture of reality than 
any of the two participants' original understandings of the question at hand. So if you are going to go out and and or, or, or if you're if you're not going to, then go, then do it. Um, and if you are going to go out and talk to Bitcoiners and and stuff, don't just recite the scripture. This is one thing that is really annoying. I think in Bitcoin meetups at, at this point is a lot of people go there and you know it's I'm just as bad for it because it's all there's so many people and I think a lot of Bitcoiners are naturally quite introverted and they'd rather you know learn about things on their own. But but if you are out there, trust me, nobody's going to get pissed off at you unless they're a dickhead, they're not going to get pissed off at you if you ask a question or question them on one of their things or think, actually, no, I see what you're saying, but I learned this thing the other day and it doesn't quite fit what you're saying, but I'm not going to mention it because you probably know more than me and you're probably just super genius because you understand Bitcoin better than I do. Right. Get rid of all that. Just show up, ask all the questions, be as annoying as you possibly can and just really make people question their own understandings of things and, and just sort of have that head-on collision of ideas and then for the, the sort of the rubble of that will you know rise like a phoenix a better understanding of bitcoin yeah it'll be like it's it's the best way to go about it and if you if, if you're going to show up and, and sort of recite the scripture and just stick to the script and and talk about what you heard the guy online say and and you know never ask questions when you don't fully understand something then it'll just it'll be fine but it'll just it'll just slow down your learning and you know you don't want to waste your own time. So yeah, go out and it'll probably help the person you're talking to as well, because it's very easy to echo chamber yourself in Bitcoin and have people not fully um, explore beyond the parameters of, of the, uh, of of the things that are sort of got the stamp of approval from Bitcoin Twitter is okay to say and stuff like that. So, um, and I guess on that point as well, quickly is you mentioned the the laser eye people on Twitter that'll be mean to you if you didn't say any if you said something wrong. Like I've already said the word shitcoin a bunch, so I've definitely pissed off a lot of people already. But I'm gonna piss off even more now by saying all the maxis need to go suck a dick, right? Because if you're just talking, if you're just shoving people into a corner and saying, "Oh, we're not even gonna talk to you if you're a shitcoiner," oh, we're not even gonna put your," you know, I heard a story of Bitcoin Wales the other day not getting listed on this Bitcoin meetup site because they had a single image in their website that had uh, other altcoins in the back of it. So this stock photo, even though it's a Bitcoin meetup, they had altcoins in a stock photo. And it's like, so it didn't get registered on the meetup site. And it's like, if that's you, right, then here's what you're doing. Okay, so you have this idea that Bitcoin is the best thing, right? And all the shit coins are shit, right? Cool, fine. But then what you're saying is they're shit because they're scams, right? And I'm good because I don't sell scams, right? I'm not going to get sponsored by BlockFi, right? I'm not, I'm not one of those. And so you take that position and you're essentially digging a hole in, as a moral high ground, essentially, into a thing, which is exactly what the people do that you hate, the woke people, um, by the way. And so yeah, totally. when you do that, you're essentially doing what the woke people do on the other side of the spectrum. And you're refusing conversation with people that are genuinely, in your own words, getting scammed and getting done over. And the reasoning behind it is, oh, they're so stupid, they don't get it, have fun staying poor. It's like, do you really care about this shit or are you just morally posturing? Yeah, it's, it's almost like they, 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 they pedestal themselves and, and, and shit on people from above unnecessarily. You know, we're all on the, on the journey here. We're all trying to understand our own perspective in the world. And we've all discovered Bitcoin, but it doesn't mean the same thing to everyone else. You know, like you said, Angelo, we need to have the open conversations like we're having now um, in the meetups. The best meetups um, I've been to, the ones where I'm, I'm, I'm stood with a group of two or three people and we're having a debate, not an argument, but we're having a healthy debate. We're giving each other our perspective of the world and of how Bitcoin plays a part in it. And there's been so much learning taking place from myself and the people involved in that because... You say and see things that you might not, you might have had blind spots to because of where you've grew up or the, you know, the type of person you might be. You know, it by by, by remaining open minded and being part of the conversation, which is an ongoing conversation. Um, and you know, like you said, when you wrote your piece um, um, when you were younger after your your accident uh, about happiness and that you changed your mind at the end of it. You know, it's it's by putting it out there and reflecting on those ideas and then bringing it back to what you now know 
that's that's the only way I think we can move forward in a healthy way, and 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 that's the best route uh, into Bitcoin. I think I'm so glad you brought it up, Angelo, because that would have been my next question, but it sort of sorted itself out. Um, I actually wrote a shameless self plug here. I know, but fuck you all. I, I'm paying for the hosting and I can <laughs> plug my own show. <laughs> um, I wrote a piece about this because one of my goals for 2023 and beyond is we have to be more critical of ourselves. And I'm talking about the community because obviously we three all in here share and love Bitcoin um, in whatever form and fashion. Uh, but at the end of the day, too much, especially on Bitcoin Twitter, is all rainbow and sunshine. Um, I can't tell you how often I read uh, Bitcoin fixes this and then you sort of sit there and think like, okay, in theory, but we all know practically it looks a bit different. Um, and I really appreciate it that you brought up that point because I think uh, for all the listeners out there as well, just because someone is maybe lost in its course, uh, favorizing, you mentioned the, the whales thing with the, the image, or even if someone comes up to you and says like, hey, I still have some, I don't know, Solana or whatever, you think I should have traded to Bitcoin, don't immediately say yes. Start listening what they have to say. Start listening why they did these things because often it's really to a lack of understanding of how these things work. Um, and maybe give them a link to the copy of Angelo's book <laughs> to bring it back to your story. Yeah, please. Uh, but I agree. Yeah, it's um, it's it, unfortunately as well, like, you know, if somebody says, you know, I've got some Solana, shall I trade it for Bitcoin? And you go, yeah, and you walk away. It's like, all right, maybe you've got other things to do, but um, at the end of the day, if you if somebody says I got some Solana, shall I trade it for Bitcoin? And you go, really? You got Solana? You fucking idiot! You're right. such yeah. a retard. What the fuck? Then they've shut off. You're not going to teach them anything. You don't want to help them, all right? You just want to feel smart. Stop that, all right? Yeah. So yeah, it's 100. percent There's too much of that. And you know, if if shitcoins are a problem because they're scams, then what you should really be doing is rather than just you know, sort of waving your dick around and saying you know uh, i figured out something that you haven't and, and and stuff like actually help these people to to understand why they're in scams and it'll take a, a while for them to get it and they will never get it so long as you know you keep being a dick basically because and, and not that i'm against being a dick sometimes you've got to be a dick right but just in this case don't do it if you're going to then go and say that the reason that you like bitcoin is because scams are run by you know, assholes that are just trying to harvest the money and then you're not trying to do anything about the victims of of the thing that you're saying is is the devil essentially. So um so yeah, it's uh it's it's definitely an all good place uh to be in as a as a community at the moment because I mean picture this, right? Say you are into altcoins and stuff and you've got the idea in your head that Bitcoin is essentially, you know, MySpace and then Ethereum is like Instagram or whatever. That's the general approach it's like oh it's the first one there so so you know it's the revolutionary thing but it's also the oldest and will end up being you know it, i've heard that it's slow and i've heard that it's clunky and and you know people there's i've also heard about these people bitcoin maximalists or something and 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 they think that it's the only good one uh which i think you know just my initial emotional response to that is oh, if you think it's the only good one you're probably a bit of a dinosaur aren't you you're like you're one of those sort of stuck in your own ways type thinking person you know you you're not open-minded probably you're probably quite closed-minded and you know and and you just don't want to give the time of day to anything else other than like your your honey pot or maybe you feel like you missed the boat and the type of image of the the idea of a maxi that that altcoiners will end up having in their head is somebody that's like essentially fits that model a very rigid person that's maybe a little bit of a dickhead and a bit defensive and if they have that idea and then they go out and they talk to one and they just get shut down instantly called a shit coiner and laughed at, then you're only validating the belief that they had about you in the first place. And because we're humans, that's only going to go on to validate the belief that they had about Bitcoin and about the tech and about altcoins, because we can't automatically separate the opinions of people from the contents of the opinion. It's quite a hard thing for humans to do. And so when you are essentially advocating for Bitcoin, by being a dickhead, you're taking a bunch of these people who are literally getting crushed by SBFs of the world and you're throwing them to the side, laughing at them and just painting yourself as the exact type of person that you know that they wouldn't listen to if you had a genuinely good thing to say, on the contrary to what they believe. And and you're not going to continue the conversation. You're not going to help them. They're going to keep getting crushed and they'll just continue to be this split down the middle divide in the 
in in the conversation, which is never a good thing. We need conversation. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, uh, I I feel quite lucky that way because, like I mentioned beforehand, I work. I'm like with one leg. I, I wish I were with in Bitcoin landscape only with both legs, but unfortunately, you got to put food on the table and pay for shit. So I'm also in like uh, the I wouldn't say tradfi world, but I'm more in like the fintech world where. Uh, a lot of fintech people know that the banking system is rotten to its core. It, it's broken, but they're trying to come up with more modern solutions, um, with more transparent solutions at the end of the day. I really have to um, say it how it is. And if I talk to these people, again, if they don't get it, why should I neglect that fact and saying like, okay, maybe you like stable coins more because you're used to seeing one for one. But what about if we say one for 5,000, for example, if it's like, whatever it is currently with the price in Bitcoin and sats. Um, or maybe in 10 years time, one for 20, one for 15, whatever it might be. Imagine having a different asset that's not controlled by a central state. Isn't that how we as humans should operate? And just by bringing up these simple arguments and not, as you say, go, say, go fuck yourself and have fun, stay poor. I think this will help Bitcoin adoption massively more than um, unfortunately being stuck in the echo chamber on Twitter and sort of wanking each other off uh <laughs> with nice complimented replies um and i, I know we're going to get heat for these comments but at the end of the day um guys if you're into bitcoin if you truly believe in it uh, everyone's welcome and the protocol doesn't care doesn't give a shit what you say or what you do uh, as long as you help get people on board um but yeah angelo looking looking into the future uh we haven't spoken about what you do throughout the whole day and i think it's getting into a nice length of the episode that we don't need to cover it uh, directly. But what is the next five to 10 years hold for you personally? And where do you see yourself in the Bitcoin landscape uh, doing what you do now? So I guess my goal is to, um, well, I think my goal was sort of stated earlier about the, with the lifeboats and, and that. And I think education is at the core of that. And the education is just the transmission of information between humans and there are many mediums through which that can happen. There's written, um, which I did the book. And then there's audio, which is what you guys are doing. And then there's video, which I think is being neglected by Bitcoin at the moment. And I don't think there's, there's that many great video um, people at the moment. And so essentially I've been hired by, I started about a year and a half ago, um, Permissionless, which was, my, which was going to be a show about essentially uh, Bitcoin and education on Bitcoin and and I was going to delve into essentially making that my mission and then you know Danny I met him at a conference after asking a, a, a question to the panel from uh, from the audience and he came up and talked to me afterwards ended up telling him about the videos and my intentions with them and he ended up hiring me over to Fast Bitcoin so now um, I'm working here and I've got a nicer camera than I had before thanks to Danny for that one and uh, I've got a better setup and we're just building a studio literally next door at the moment and um we're going to start making ideally the best bitcoin content there is um and and just trying to really explain it in as many different ways as possible and it'll be an iterative process it's not going to be perfect initially but i think in the next you said five to ten years i really want to basically have like the place that complete new starters go to if they want to understand more about bitcoin and and you know get some decent information about it and video is the best way to do that because, I mean, there's been countless studies now that it's, people respond best to video out of all of the, the mediums. Um, it's a little bit more tricky to produce and there's more intricacies, but luckily it crosses over nicely with me because I've had an interest in filmmaking um, for the past few years, so I've learned a bit about it already. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully in 10 years I'll be um, orange-pilling people uh, passively. I'll, I'll have a, a passive orange pill going on in the, at the YouTube channel. So, um, yeah, that's the goal. And that's uh, Fast Bitcoin's YouTube channel, right? Yes. Yeah. We'll definitely link it in the show notes then. Yeah, yeah most cool. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're going to start posting. Um, it is, I haven't started it yet, by the way. So if you go on there and you're like, it's basically, there's some videos of Amsterdam um, and the interview. Yes. So you can go see that. And then, uh, yeah, so soon it'll start ramping up and turning up the heat on that. It's just been a process of getting all the pieces in order, but. Yeah, it's full steam ahead as soon as that happens. And uh, yeah. Angela was just brushing off. I did I have a couple of videos from interviews up, but he literally interviewed like Adam Beck. So 
not a biggie. <laughs> he has a few good videos up already. <laughs> oh my god, mate, I was shitting myself. Like, that I was can imagine. Awkward situation. Right. So I was like basically running around Amsterdam with Bitcoin Amsterdam, trying to get the best content that I could with the camera, this camera on top of his, his money, monopod. And, uh, you know, I was basically just talk, running up to people and saying, do you want to ask a few questions, you being one of them? And uh, yeah, I was inside and, and Danny messaged, Danny knows Adam. Um, and I always thought that was very cool. Uh, and yeah, he just messaged me like, hey, by the way, um, uh, have you got your camera on you? I was like, yeah. He was like, all right, you got Adam. It could be at any point in the next 10 minutes, be ready. Holy I, was like, shit. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what do you mean, be ready? So I started like, you know, obviously I'd researched a lot about him over the years and, and for the book and stuff. But in that moment, I forgot everything. And so I was on Google then just trying to like refresh my brain, trying to f- come up with the best questions. Like you're, you're five minutes away from answer, from talking to Adam back on camera and you got to come up with the questions for it. So, yeah, I was, uh, I was sort of uh, having a fanboy moment, but it was really fun. He's really, you could, he's got a different energy about him. That just, yeah, there's something about that guy. I, I, I like the part in the interview where you go like, do you have hobbies outside of Bitcoin? And he goes like, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I like <laughs> to solve puzzles and Rubik's cubes and cryptography, whatever yeah. there is out there. And I sort of sat there like, holy shit, I can't even solve a Rubik's cube. You know? <laughs> and he does that as like a hobby. Um, but we'll link that below. By the way, the Rubik's cube thing, it's a, it's a false it's fake complicatedness. It seems complicated. There's a trick. It's not like you're supposed to just look at it and figure it out. There's algorithms that you can get. It's like a one A4 piece of paper. I used to do it when I was younger. And it's uh, it's a great way to make yourself seem smart. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the main thing is trying to do it as quick as possible. If you have like a Rubik's Cube with four rather than three columns and rows, then it gets a lot more complicated. But the one with three, the standard one you see at the toy shops, you can learn how to do that in like a couple hours. So yeah, I guess it's the doing the daisy one and then if you got like daisy set up you can do a couple of twists and turns and then it's basically solved uh, that's at least how i learned it but like yeah just hearing his interview we'll also link it in the show notes uh that was fun fun to see i, I used to take these the stickers off and try and read re- <laughs> <laughs> that takes longer than just it does yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it never works as well but yeah the the hobbies question was fun we did a um a video uh, basically compiling all of the answers to that question that everybody gave. And it was hilarious to see people, you know, they're, they're sort of in their bag reciting the scripture the whole time. And then you say, what, what are your hobbies outside of Bitcoin? And there's just, what did you say? Can you repeat yourself? Yeah, it's quite funny. Angelo, is there anything you um, want to say that we haven't asked you? Um, is there any anything that you want to sort of um, mention before we wrap it up? evening um follow me on twitter yeah where's your what's your twitter angelo at uh it's at angelo underscore summers spelled s-o-m-e-r-s i think that's correct please put it in the show notes because i don't we'll put it in the show notes we'll definitely put it in (laughs) not know your own handle (laughs) i I thought i thought oh no it's son of satoshi is your it's like the name on twitter right the name yeah i'll definitely put in the username and all the links below i appreciate that very nice having you on angelo uh i thought this was a fun episode we covered a lot of tracks and bases um and every, for everyone listening yeah uh, go ahead uh again buy angelo's book uh make sure to follow the fast bitcoin channel and uh, i guess if you're at one of the conferences go and say hi because uh, they're fun to talk to both of the brothers you'll see your brother next week or hear your brother next week um and don't be shy to to ask questions i think that's the number one thing i took away from today's episode thanks and if you're not sure which one is me and which one is my brother my brother's the one with the tiny calves and then I'm the one. <laughs> Giga chat. Giga chat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for being on and uh, we'll hear you soon again. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, let's do this again sometime. I loved it. Thanks, guys.